Are you looking for a comprehensive and convenient online health fitness training platform? Look no further than Vikido Fitness Academy. With a variety of programs designed to meet your needs, this platform offers everything from weight loss and wellness group coaching programs to an emotional intelligence course. You'll learn what to eat in order to achieve optimal health and energy levels. You'll have access to exercise training, live coaching meetups with myself, Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and other instructors, as well as support and accountability throughout your journey. Whether you prefer to work out at home or at your favorite gym, Vikido Fitness Academy makes it easy to follow along with their programs. So get started on your journey to better health and fitness. Visit vikidofitness.com forward slash VDF Academy. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 87. How do you deal with caregiver stress and burnout? There are specific guidelines that you should follow to help you better manage caregiver stress. A new evidence review states that the heart health benefits from successfully losing 5 to 10 pounds remain even if some of the weight comes back. Research shows that small gains in cardiorespiratory fitness is tied to improved longevity. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks. Hi, Vicki Doe. How are you? I am fine. We are here today. I know. Yes, we oh, are. After, after we experienced, of course, I was in North Carolina, experienced I guess you all experienced the Wizard of Oz. I'm telling you. All that wind, it was something. Yeah, it was something. Yes. And I I was I was nervous because you could you could hear it just whizzing and oh Really? Oh yeah. And then it was it was the it was the day of and I'll talk a little bit more about that where we were at the three hundred sisters in red. Right. So it would it would be it was really bad in the morning, then it tapered off and then periodically throughout the day towards the evening. It'll it'll be sunny. Then next thing you know, it'll get dark and it'll be windy. It was weird. Then it'll finish that. Then it'll be sunny again. Then it's windy. It was weird all day, and it did some damage big time. Big time damage. Big time damage. Aren't they? Don't isn't our street closed or something? Yeah, I called the fireman yesterday. as a live wire down. 
Okay, that's what and it you was. Know, I just had to call them, Vicky, because the wind, there's a little bit more wind outside right now, and the wind blew those yellow, uh, you know, that yellow tape they have. Yes. And so they have, you know, road clothes, but there's always going to be some dumb people. They're driving around it. And I had to call the fire department to tell them you need to put those tapes back up because you don't have on there, This is these are live wires hanging down and you're driving through here. First that's all, crazy. You're not supposed to drive if the road is closed. You're not supposed, you're not supposed to, be to be on it. Driving anyway, but that's the story. The live wire that's down, uh, and they won't say they won't be able to have it fixed for three days, Vicky. Ooh, I gotta tell Nate because he was wondering why the the road was closed. Don't drive down there. Go down Logan Avenue by Logan. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. But they yeah. should say something. They didn't say a word. I had to call Susie, our friend Susie, wanted yes. to know, and I called the police. They didn't have a clue. Mm. And then I called uh, the fire truck because that was what was blocking the road early yes. yesterday afternoon. Yes. And they didn't put anything up there about live wire. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I'm glad that you find out. You were trying to find out for us the T. Find yeah. the T out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but we're here today, right? Are here today. We are here, and this and is the street in somebody's yard. I don't know whose yard it is. Daffodils are coming up. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay. They're gonna come up in spite of the weather. In spite of in when spite we get of. we get our twenty six degrees. You know what I mean? It was twenty six <laughs> this morning when I woke I up. I know, right? <laughs> but spring is supposed to be here, so spring we'll just supposed to be coming. We'll yeah. just wait. We'll just wait patiently, right? Yes. All right. Well, this is episode 253. And today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 87. Weight loss helps your heart even if some of the weight comes back. A new evidence review states that the heart health benefits from successfully losing five to 10 pounds remain even if some of the weight comes back and so we will talk about why that is and find out what are the specific heart health benefits they are referring to what can what can we do to injury proof our older loved ones homes so that they can be safe from falling according to aarp almost one-third of adult older adults experience a fall among them, 55% fall inside the home and 23% fall outside the home. And so we're going to talk about simple but effective things that we can do to safeguard the home. And these and other articles are on our list to talk about today. And as per usual, we are going to ask the one and only Dr. D. Banks, our co-host, what is the latest germ or bacteria that's coming to get us? And, <laughs> and I know today she's going to talk about the link between bacteria and germs in the meat, increasing the risk of UTIs. And so she would give us tips on what we can do and other things we can do to protect ourselves. So stay tuned for this episode on our show. It's all about health and fitness and what do you say about that d i'm looking forward to all of these articles today yes Absolutely. yes Good stuff yes indeed and so make sure guys make sure you subscribe to this podcast it's all about health and fitness vicky doe fitness on apple podcast stitcher spotify 
and on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. When you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show and you will be able to listen to learn and experience our shows where we bring in other guests and talk about the things that are important for our health and our well-being and our community. And as you know, we do not just talk about physical health. We talk about things that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. We believe in total well-being, having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review of this show because that is how we grow and that is how we increase our listeners and we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, as I was saying earlier, D, I went to the 300 Sisters in Red. And I saw you on television. Yeah, that's Monica. She going to go up, come all the way downstairs where I was and say, listen, I want you to talk a little bit on the show. I said, listen, I don't know. I ain't got my you little stuff. Fabulous. Well, it thank was a you. great interview. It was just fantastic. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was trying to represent. But yeah, they had the they had the ladies out there, and in spite of the the rain and stuff, people were there. People were oh, there. Good. Yeah, and so we had our vendors, and, re- and remember, I was making sure that I was there because we arranged that case. Western Reserve and the University Hospital, they had right. a table there with the vendors to talk about and share the news about all the important clinical research that they have going on. And people should think about, you know, participating in some of the research because a lot of the research is just, you know, you know, filling out questionnaires. A lot of it is not what, you know, most people think of clinical uh, research that is all, no, it could be focus groups. It can be all of that. And it's so important for us as black women to, to participate in clinical research, because as we know, and you definitely know, medicine, research, all that is based on really white men, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. So we are severely underrepresented. We are underrepresented. Part of the whole, and you know, it came home again in the COVID pandemic when they were, you know, rolling out the information on those vaccines and who had been studied, you know, and now there's a big push to certainly make research those people that are enrolled, make it a lot more diverse because we're not a monolith. No. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. So, yes, I'm glad that they were there. And I could just tell by um, their table and seeing the people come by and talk with them and all of the vendors. It was a lot of great vendors uh, there. Yes, yes. Good, and then, of good. course, the, the event was wonderful because we, um, this time speaking, we had a clinical nurse practitioner. She was talking about she really went in depth about what it means to have diabetes and oh. the uh, medications and the different new stuff that they have that makes it even better to monitor you know, uh, oh, so that a person can monitor their, you know, insulin level. Well, well, they're to get insulin. They have all these nice gadgets now, but also. I know, I've seen them. Some people oh. have these gadgets that they wear on their arms and they put their phone yes. up and they really get their blood sugars in real time. It's cool. It's cool. 
It's cool. Yeah. And even to administer the, you know, the insulin and stuff, it's much easier right. now. The the pumps and stuff. So it yeah. was it was very good. I I appreciated that. Yes. That's good. That's good. Well, you look fabulous on TV. Well, thank you. You yeah. know. <laughs> Representing. That's what I try to do. I try to keep up with you, with you. And you know, hey, hey. <laughs> and so, but yeah, so D, you know, how was your week then? What's your week? So my week was good. I went down to North Carolina to visit my mother. She got an award from the mayor of okay. Winston Salem, North Carolina. They they uh re- opened up, revealed a portrait that was done of her, and they they have this place called it's a it's a on a lake lake called Salem Lake Marina. Okay, and they have like a big big entertainment room, and they named the room in honor of my mother. It's a beautiful beautiful building overlooking a lake and stuff so yeah and she made it she went out and you know at 105 she took the microphone and my mother's one of these kinds would you want to make say a few words no i i really don't and then 10 minutes later (laughs) 10 minutes later after she finishes talking for 10 minutes i was like ma thought you didn't have anything to say well you know just a few words But that's so great, though. So it was good. Yeah, it was good. My sister was there, brother-in-law, and a lot of friends, her her friends from, you know, present and past and stuff. So it was really good. That's awesome. And yeah. Just, you know, at 105, yes. you don't have a lot of friends that are of your era. Oh, I you know, know. Many right? of your friends have gone on, and a lot of her friends were young friends. They were our, me and my sister's friends, which my mother always liked to surround herself with young people. Okay. And that's what you have to do. That's what you have you to have do. You have to surround yourself with young people. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's yeah. great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to the, I was getting blow by blow, story and slip about the Wizard of Oz up here in Youngstown. <laughs> Calling back also to talk to my son Mark to make sure we didn't lose any trees and stuff, you know. I know, and something. And I heard, you know what? I heard there's another one coming this weekend. Did you hear that? Oh no! Oh my goodness! Maybe not as bad, but um, another wind event. Yeah, so we getting a lot of these wind, wind stuff. Isn't that weird? It's weird, very weird. Yeah, and a lot of people still were out of uh, uh, power. Yeah, even to up yes. to the today, right? Today up until today, correct. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, we are here and hopefully we won't get we blown away uh, this weekend. This weekend. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh. So what is going on this week, D? Everything. Everything. Well, as you see, you know, every April we celebrate National Minority Health Month. And so April is coming up in, in about what? two days two or three days and so yes it is national minority health month and a time to raise awareness about health disparities that continue to affect people from racial and ethnic minority groups and encourage action through health education we talk about health education early detection and control of disease complications getting the word out to our minority communities. And so the Office of Minority Health is proud to announce the theme for National Minority Health Month for 2023. And it's called Better Health Through Better Understanding. And so this year's theme focuses on improving health outcomes for racial and ethnic minority and what they say, AIAN communities, that's American Indian 
uh, Alaskan um, native communities by providing them with culturally. That's the thing that's important. Culturally and linguistically competent healthcare services, information and resources. And when patients are provided with culturally and linguistically, linguistically, see, I, I can only say it two times. I'm going to say it again. Linguistically appropriate information. <laughs> they are empowered to create healthier outcomes for themselves and their communities. Now, here are some facts that they had. The National Minority Health had on their website, and I, I pulled out two. And, and it says it's estimated that over 60 percent of racial and ethnic minority patients over the age of 18 believe it is at least somewhat important to visit a healthcare provider who shares or understands their culture. So I thought that was very interesting. And in 2021, OMH, that's the Office of uh, Minority Health, they awarded 250 million to the Office of Minority Health, they awarded $250 million to local governments to promote evidence-based health literacy strategies that are culturally appropriate. And that's, that's what fabulous. I'm talking about. About time. That's fabulous. Yeah, about time. That's it. About time. And so for more information, folks, you know, here in Youngstown, they do have a lot of activities that go on and around Ohio promoting different health and so forth during this month of April. And so to find mm -hmm. out even more, go to www.minorityhealth.hhs.gov. And Isn't so what do we what say, Dee? Lee, Lee Green used to do. Yes. What did she used to do? The, the more, the yeah, the Youngstown the chapter. Health. Yeah, the Youngstown yeah. chapter. You're right. But she's now at the hospital doing yeah she's at mercy health yeah yeah so yeah she's still doing it's still tied in with the community stuff right. she's doing yeah what do you say about all that i think it's important well i think you know you gotta put money into these yeah um, these organizations to give them some seed money to start to so they can do some programs and get some education literature and culture appropriate and it's really important because you know the cdc had started i know with hiv doing culturally appropriate literature towards the hispanic community towards the african-american community towards the lgbt and the message shouldn't always be the same mm -hmm. you know you have to have culturally appropriate messages to people about their health because one language in one culture might not mean the same in others you know what i mean yes yes so that's why you have to have these these uh, the literature i know it, it specifically when we were doing hiv and women mm -hmm. that it had to be you know they targeted african-american women and hispanic women and you know mm -hmm. lgbtq and all of that so good for them kudos kudos to them so kudos and let's hope that money will keep coming because as we know there are all kinds of factors around us to not appropriate money. And speaking of money, mm -hmm. I'm happy to say when I was in North Carolina, mm -hmm. they voted to do Medicaid expansion, oh. which has been going on since Obamacare. There have been like, I don't know, there may be 12 states that were held out mm -hmm. for Medicaid expansion. Finally, finally, mm. North Carolina has jumped on the bandwagon and done Medicaid expansion. And it will create better health care for millions of North Carolinians like it has for, you know, 
other folks. In other states. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. most of the states and most of the states that haven't done Medicaid expansion are in the South. That's a shock. But yeah. <laughs> right. And then they complain about all this sickness and so forth and yeah, so on. Yeah. 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 So you, you're not making it conducive for people to get well. That's it. Well, so, okay, yeah. D. We are moving on to you. This is what's going oh. on. They finally announced it because I knew, but they finally, and you knew, but they finally made it official so that everybody knows the Youngstown Warren Chamber Chapter, their Athena Award nominees for 2023. So it's official. And the dinner to announce who wins the actual award will be May 18th. But it's 28 folks on the list, 28 nominees. It's a robust group. I looked at that group yesterday, and there's a lot of really good women on that, yes, that, that list. That is. Yeah. And so, but we have our one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks on the list. So that's what Aww. counts. <laughs> Thanks to you, Dr. Vicki Doe. Thanks to you. Hey. Many, many, grazie mille, as they say. So, listen, you know, thanks like for said, all the My st- thing is, it's just, you're just honored to be nominated as you were a few years ago when we, was it, was it before COVID? No, what it was, was it, right. Vicky? It was, we were supposed was to. Was it on the cusp? Yeah, we were supposed to. It was 2020 and we were supposed to have it then, but then yeah. they, they shut it down. So they just moved it to 2021. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah, what happened. Yeah. Had- yeah, okay, because I thought it was somewhere around that time, mm-hmm. um, and they had it at the place in Canfield. Yes, yes. Yeah. We're going to just enjoy because, like you said, it's just an honor to be it a is. nominee. Yes. Honestly, it mm-hmm. really is. And so thank you for the nomination. And thank <laughs> you for all the stuff that you do in our community. You are so welcome. You know, and, and, and you are a shero. Understand? <laughs> well, thank you. You. understand you. yeah sometimes we gotta <laughs> we gotta pump up our own praises so i'm pumping well, I, you up i believe in doing that with others you know i'm uh-huh. always pumping people up yeah people up forward giving them their props that's it because mm-hmm. what they say it's hard out here in these streets it's Hard, <laughs> hard out here. <laughs> hard. Yeah, that's yes. it. So, yes, kudos to you. I say that every morning when I leave the house with Mark, he goes, hey, "Have a great day, Mark." I said, "Yes, yeah, hard out here." It's hard. It is hard. It's hard. Yeah. It is very yeah. hard. All right. So, D, what's the latest? I know you're going to talk yeah. about bacteria. So, yeah, this this is very interesting. When I did outpatient infectious diseases, I was talking to one of my residents today. One of the things that I saw a lot was recurrent urinary tract infections, particularly in menopausal women. And it just was a bear Mm -hmm. to try to treat. So I just thought this article was interesting. It's from the Washington Post. Bacteria from meat may cause more than half a million urinary tract infections, this study says. Foodborne E. coli strains are likely to cause more than a half a million urinary tract infections will otherwise be known as UTIs annually in the United States. For those wondering how they are getting UTIs despite taking care of their hygiene and urinating after sex, two known ways to avoid the risk of UTIs, a new study suggests that bacteria from meat may be responsible. 
E. coli bacteria from meat is likely to cause hundreds of thousands of UTIs in the United States each year, a George Washington University study published Thursday. 85% of UTIs, again, urinary tract infections, are caused by E. coli, and 8% of these infections are acquired from meat, according to the research. The study published in Journal One Health looked at 1,188 samples of E. coli from humans and 1923 samples from meat, including chicken, turkey, pork, in Flagstaff, Arizona, and estimated for the first time that foodborne E. coli strains may be causing as many as 640,000 UTIs each year. Most people understand that eating uncooked meat or accidentally ingesting bacteria from meat can cause you to have an upset stomach, said Lance Price, professor of environmental and occupational health at George Washington University and one of the scientists leading the study. But now we also know that specific varieties of E. coli coming from raw meat are also causing hundreds of thousands of UTIs. Price said the study has expanded the understanding of what a foodborne infection can look like and how it can be prevented. The team of scientists, which included Cindy Liu from GW, from George Washington Millican Institute School of Public Health, used a genomic approach to track origins of E. coli. E. coli bacteria adapt to its host, so each sample of bacteria we found had its own packet of DNA. Price said. We then developed a statistical model which analyzed all that DNA and predicted whether bacteria, whether that bacteria came from an animal, and if so, which animal? So how dangerous are UTIs? UTIs are extremely common in the United States. About six to eight million people get them annually. Women, I told you I had a lot of women, mm. are at highest risk of contracting UTIs because of their anatomy. Children and older people also are at high risk in other groups for reasons including the use of diapers, incontinence, or limited access to the bathroom. UTIs can be potentially life-threatening in older people, said Christine Kistler, social professor in geriatric medicine at the University of North Carolina, who researches UTIs in the elderly. Most UTIs are caused by E. coli. If you wipe the wrong way, for example, or don't empty your bladder often enough, said Kistler, who was not involved in the study, but the link to food is very interesting. If you have E. coli caused by food contamination, it usually shows up in the gut. She pointed out, however, that older people often have bacteria present in their bladders that don't produce problems and should never be treated. And this is one of my pet peeves. We massively overtreat UTIs in older people. Mm. And we call that asymptomatic bacteria, not a urinary tract infection. We should only treat actual infections, meaning those that cause symptoms. UTIs most commonly res result in bladder infections, which are recognizable through pain or burning while urinating, frequent urination, blood in the urine, or cramps in the groin or lower abdomen, said the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Some UTIs also can lead to more serious kidney infections, fever, chills, uh, back pain, nausea, vomiting, or life-threatening blood infections, according to the CDC. Bloodstream infections with E. coli kill 36,000 to 40,000 people a year in the United States, said Price. Reducing the number of infections spreading through E. coli that comes from meat will be a big contribution. So how do bacteria reach your urinary tract? Data from FDA suggests that most raw meat products are contaminated with E. coli. That's why they tell you don't put the stuff down on the countertop. Mm. 
you know, without cleaning it. Mm-hmm. I know you have your Lysol all over every place. <laughs> <laughs> and then bleach in some other places. And then, <laughs> and then the bleach. Um, that um, The FDA suggests that most uh, raw meat products are contaminated with E. coli. And GW, George Washington study, found that 81.7% of the 2,460 meat products they tested carry E. coli. E. coli can live in people and food animals. When animals are slaughtered, the bacteria living inside them can contaminate meat products and cause infections if the meat is ingested by humans before they find a chance to travel from the GI tract to the urinary tract and trigger infections. E. coli bacteria that cause UTIs can live in a gut for a while earning them the title of opportunistic pathogens. It can be a long time between your exposure to the meat and the time that you actually got the UTI, Price said. Experts have long suspected that foodborne pathogens become part of our microbiome. And this very nice study suggests they survive the acid of our stomach and digestive process and do take up residence there, said William Schaffner. He was always on television for COVID. He's professor of preventive medicine and health policy and professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. I need to put a plug in that Uh there's a young lady who's graduating from Case, who graduated from FAMU and HBCU, Mm -hmm. who in the 148-year history of Vanderbilt University will be the first and only neurosurgery resident. Yeah, I saw that. So let's hope that Dr. Schaffner was in that was played some role in getting her in <laughs> yes. that university. Yes, yes. Then Dr. Schaffner goes on to say that then sometimes, often anatomically, that causes these bacteria to get into the bladder, causing a UTI, or in the bloodstream, causing sepsis, said Dr. Schaffner, who was also not involved in the study. Could animal vaccines prevent foodborne UTIs? Earlier messaging was that E. coli infections could be prevented by ensuring that meat was well cooked, avoiding cross-contamination, which includes washing your hands and the cutting board after handling meat, and minimizing exposure to raw meat. Infectious disease specialists also have repeatedly warned of the dangers of indiscriminate use of antibiotics in food animals, a practice that contributes to the development of bacterial strains Mm -hmm. that essentially become resistant. They don't respond to treatment. These findings illustrate the connections between animals in the food supply and humans and underscores the importance of avoiding unnecessary antibiotic use in animals which will lead to drug-resistant bacteria that will find their way into humans, said Elizabeth Connick, professor of medicine and immunobiology and chief of the infectious disease division at the University of Arizona, who was not involved in the study. Well, who was? (laughs) Everybody's not involved, right? Everybody's not involved in the study. Well, who was? Okay. Understanding the new foodborne route of UTIs on which the study focuses also has opened the door for new interventions such as vaccines. We have identified the really risky strains of E. coli in animals, Price said, and now we can vaccinate them against these specific bacteria, resulting in a win-win for public health as well as the animal industry. Vaccinating the animal against six of the most dangerous strains of bacteria will ensure that they do not enter the food supply. Price said concerned citizens could call lawmakers in Congress 
to ask that the Department of Agriculture put more money towards food safety. That's true now. They do mm -hmm. need to do that because mm -hmm. there's hardly anything that you can think of eating that hasn't had some problem, call back, pull back, whatever, I know. including eliminating dangerous bacteria from food animals. We needed new ways to prevent these infections, and this is opening that door for us, he said, Dr. Price. This study puts even more responsibility on food and animal producers to prevent these bacteria from making their way into, I'm sorry, the food supply. So there you have it. Okay, so be careful on how you handling your food. Yeah. Especially you know, if it's meat. Years, they've told you, you know, you got to make sure they don't cross contaminate, cook your food really well uh, and all of these kinds of uh, things. So, yes. yeah. And you can always eat more plant based stuff, too. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Let's not forget that. <laughs> yeah. Let us not forget that. That's it. So any other things coming down the pipe that you can think no, of? No, nothing. Uh, you know, everything seems to be at a mild calm. COVID is a mild calm right now. Not that we have zero patients in the hospital, but nobody's being hospitalized, sick and dying anymore, at least at this juncture. Well, that's good. And so yeah. thank you, D. You are so welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 87. And so I'm going to start out with an article. It says small gains in cardiorespiratory fitness track with improved longevity. It was found in MedPage today. A change of just one met tied to longer or shorter life. It starts out and says a previously suspected changes in cardiorespiratory fitness were associated with reciprocal changes in mortality risk, independent of other comorbidities or initial fitness status, a large observational study found. People who had Serial exercise treadmill test assessments with a median six years between the initial and the final test 
showed that changes in aerobic capacity over time tracked with better or worse survival outcomes, reported a group led by Peter Kakunos, who's a PhD in exercise phys- physiology specialist at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Whereas changes in CRF, that's cardiorespiratory fitness, of greater than or equal to one peak metabolic equivalence, that's METS, M-E-T-S stands for metabolic equivalence, were associated with mortality over a median 6.3 years of follow-up. The difference in survival was more prominent with larger rises uh, and falls in a person's cardiorespiratory fitness, regardless of baseline cardiovascular disease. For example, a cardiorespiratory fitness drop of at least two minutes was tied to a 69 to 74% increase in mortality risk among low fit individuals. So the, the stats showed without cardiovascular disease, heart rate, that's how they're looking at your cardio respiratory fitness heart rate 1.69 compared to with cardiovascular disease heart rate 1.74. These findings provide a guide for clinicians and the public in general regarding CRF, cardiorespiratory fitness changes necessary to improve CRF and health outcomes. Accordingly, encouraging the public to improve cardiorespiratory fitness by at least one met can have considerable clinical and public health significance, study authors reported in March 23rd issue of the Journal of American College of Cardiology. The present report confirms and extends the prior literature linking cardiorespiratory capacity and mortality, mortality according to Leonard Kaminsky, uh, who's a Ph.D. and a clinical exercise physiologist at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and colleagues writing in an accompanying editorial. In fact, the prognostic utility of CRF, cardiorespiratory fitness, outperforms commonly assessed clinical cardiovascular disease risk factors, such as lipids, blood pressure, body habitus um, or lifestyle habits, um, body habits, um, smoking, and blood glucose. Blood glucose said Kaminsky and co-authors who suggested that cardiorespiratory fitness testing be used more widely than its usual limited applications in diagnostics or for assessing organ transplant candidacy. This was said, although exercise testing before initiating an exercise intervention is not required, assessing one's hemodynamic and cardiorespiratory responses to graded exercise testing can facilitate the customization of an exercise prescription to optimize improvements in CRF and other health-related factors. The editorialist wrote, we, again, call on both clinicians and public health professionals to adopt cardiorespiratory fitness as a key health indicator. This should be done by coupling routine assessments of cardiorespiratory fitness with 
continued advocacy for promoting physical activity as an essential health lifestyle behavior, they urge. One met is defined as the amount of energy a person uses while sitting still. Various activities such as running tend to spend at least six meds, mets. Most adults who began a moderate to, vigor, to vigorous aerobic exercise program can significantly increase their cardiorespiratory fitness by one to two meds, according to the Heritage Family Study Report cited by Kaminsky and colleagues. In the present study, cardiorespiratory fitness increased by at least one met in approximately 29% of the individuals and decreased in approximately 46%. This finding underscores the need to promote physical activity to maintain or increase cardiorespiratory fitness levels in middle-aged and older adults, Kokinos and colleagues stress. The investigators had relied on data from the Ethos ETHOS cohort of over 750,000 individuals who had completed an exercise treadmill test evaluation at a VA medical center from the years 1999 to 2020 using the Bruce Protocol. The an, uh, analysis included 93,060 individuals who achieved greater than or equal to, equal to, sorry, two METs and had a minimum of two tests completed at least one year apart and had no evidence of overt cardiovascular disease. Men constituted the vast majority of participants who averaged the age 61.3. Nearly three-fourths were white and 20% were black. Mortality occurred at an average yearly rate of 27.6 events per 1,000 person years. A sensitivity analysis accounting for reverse causality did not materially change the study's main results. Exclusion of patients who likely had underlying disease having a decline in cardiorespiratory fitness and dying within two years of the last exercise treadmill test did not negate the association between changes in cardiorespiratory fitness and mortality risk. Kokino's team acknowledged that the retrospective observational study cannot tell when reductions in cardiorespiratory fitness were the outcome of intentional abstinence from physical activity or other lifestyle factors or subclinical disease that underlies low cardiorespiratory fitness, reverse causality. Despite steps taken to minimize the possible impact of reverse causality, moreover, cardiorespiratory fitness was not based on direct assessment yeah of vo2 max but it was approximated by mets alone and so usually when you are testing and that was the 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 article but yes usually when you're testing a person's cardiorespiratory fitness you put them on the treadmill and you do a vo2 max test the vo2 is your maximum oxygen 
consumption. Okay. Is that when they put you in that in that in that container thing or yeah, the how is that done? That's done to do a true direct assessment of a VO2 max. You're put on the treadmill and hooked up to a metabolic cart. Okay. Where you see, you see some, sometimes you see pictures where they have the, the thing over their mouth and the long tube yes. going to, yeah, yes. that's the, that's the metabolic cart. And you're going through a graded exercise test for these folks. It was the Bruce protocol, but you have different exercise tests and it's, it's sort of like the stress test, except you're not putting um, all of the leads and stuff on. You just um, really um, testing. You have a few leads, but not like the stress test, but you're hooked up. The difference is you're hooked up to a metabolic cart and what that tells is the higher your VO2 max, the greater your cardiorespiratory fitness. But oh, you okay. can estimate it by METs and also your cardiorespiratory by your heart rate as well, which is measured as well over time. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so the thing is that, yeah, what can you do to increase your VO2 max or the greatest amount of oxygen consumption that you can do, right? As you exercise over time, running or walking or exercise and physical activity. And all of that will increase your cardiorespiratory fitness. And we see based on this study that just increasing your meds, you know, suppose you're unfit, but with um, consistent doing physical activity over time will increase your meds and just even increasing your met to one. So suppose you, you, you can only do four meds or five meds, you know, increasing it to one, six or seven over time will increase your cardiorespiratory fitness and decrease your risk for heart disease and all that kind of stuff and your mortality rate. But most of the time, cardiorespiratory fitness is not really a part of that, you know, risk factor thing. We always see what lipids and, and yeah. cholesterol and stuff. So what they're saying is, yeah, we probably should put, you know, testing uh, and looking at your cardiorespiratory fitness level as a part of, you know, testing your longevity over time, right? Put that up your biomarkers for cardiovascular fitness. We shall see, but that's good, right? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? Absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, listening to this lecture was like when I was an econ with a big <laughs> giant question mark on my face, <laughs> like my statistics class. I mean, this is truly physiology. Break I was never down. the greatest in physiology. That was just not my forte in yes. my, my college career. But you love it. I love it. But here's the thing. We always remind people that one met is that's your oxygen consumed. And that's the key. And why is it oxygen consumed? Well, yeah. You know, if your heart is pumping, your blood vessels are how they should. Your cells are taking up the oxygen so that they can make energy. You're moving. The, the better they can do that, that really is an indicator that you are pretty much what cardiorespiratory fit, right? 
Yeah. Well, question that I have, Vicki, is that when you're on the treadmill, mm -hmm. some treadmills have mets that you can adjust. Mm -hmm. So should you like if you I don't know what start out like a three met if you're on the treadmill, you say increasing it to four will make a significant difference. You don't have to jump up to two or three mets more than what you're doing. Is that correct? More than what you're doing. And a lot of times those are just those are just um, the, the mets that are on the treadmill. Those yeah. are just that's estimate because okay. everybody's going to be different based on their gotcha. weight. Yes. You're not putting your weight in and all that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To be correct. Precise, those are accurate. Just, yeah. Right. So those are just, those are just estimates. But what we do tell people, if you want to stay in a moderate to vigorous and doing about 30 minutes, you're going to at least do at least four mats. Gotcha. You're going to do gotcha. four mats. As long as you are not sitting, sitting is one mat. <laughs> Good to know. Yes. And then your physical fitness over time will show because you'll be able to stay and prolong your, your, your mats and increase it over time where you can do a little bit more and not yeah. be all tired out. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, instead <laughs> of doing all this long marathons, you really don't have to do that to be physically fit. You know, fit. we've talked about, you've talked about that a lot. Yeah. True. You'd really don't. Yeah. So just change or just one met would be tied to longer life. So that's what we're encouraging Excellent. people. Go to the next article right quick. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about this next article is. The injury, um, right? Injury proof. Injury proof homes, creating safe spaces for older adults. And, you know, I'm getting into that, whether I look in the mirror and think that I'm 20, I'm really not. <laughs> so I have to start thinking about this. So. And this is a topic that's near and dear to me because, as I was telling you earlier, working not only in an acute care hospital, I work in a long-term care facility and see a lot of older adults who fall. So there's nothing like the comfort and security of home. For many, a home is a place filled with fond memories of happy times. It's no wonder older adults choose to extend their independence by trying to stay in their homes as they get older, an experience called aging in place. But as person, person ages, what used to be ordinary in the home can be challenging or even a hazard. Almost one third of older adults, see, I, I hadn't even just looked at it, experienced a fall. Mm -hmm. Among them, 55% fall inside the home and 23% fall outside the home, according to AARP. As a caregiver, it's important to consider what you can do to make the home safe and accessible for older loved ones. We're hearing more from the caregivers that are modifying their home so their older relative can move in with them, said Sandy Markwood, chief executive of USA Aging, a national association of local area agencies on aging, noted in a recent AARP article. Here's some ideas on what changes to the home can make a big difference. Hallway and stair safety. AARP suggests checking the stairs to make sure they're in good condition. Stairwells should be well lit and there should be secure handrails on both sides. Remove throw rugs. You should also declutter hallways, walkways, and stair areas. That's a big thing. Today I looked down on the floor and there was a pen. 35 years ago, I wouldn't have thought of it. Today I'm thinking, uh-uh, that pen could cause a fall. Mm -hmm. Bathroom safety. This is significant. There are simple steps you can take to improve bathroom safety and accessibility. Significant number of people, Vicki, fall in the bath in the shower because it's slippery. Mm -hmm. And as we know, as you age, your balance gets off. Mm -hmm. So first, use bathroom rugs with rubber backing, secure them to the floor, and with double-sided 
carpet, carpet tape. You can also use a non-skid mat or strips on the bathtub or shower floor. I'm big on that. Mm -hmm. Install grab bars in the shower or tub and by the toilet for stability and balance. As you get older, it's hard to get, as I tell people, when you have knee injuries or hip injuries, going to the bathroom has to be negotiated because a lot of toilets are not made for people with disabilities. They're low set toilets. So when you're trying to use your quadriceps to lift up, that's very difficult. So you need to put handles on both sides. A useful and preventive measure is adding a tub chair or bench in the tub or shower. Remember to check the hot water heater and confirm it's 120 degrees or lower because you don't want first degree burns. Kitchen safety, make sure all work areas, including the sink and stove are well lit. Exchange low watt bulbs for high watt bulbs, efficiency bulbs. NIA recommends keeping frequently used pans, dishes and utensils in a place that's easy to reach. Institute suggests preparing food in a seated position to prevent falling from fatigue or loss of balance. Use a step stool with non-slip steps and a handrail for those hard to reach areas. And I would say for, to those of you all talking about step stools, as you get older, forget about the step stools and wait till somebody can come and get it for you. Mm. That's another source of falling. I see that all the time. Mm. Bedroom safety. Accessibility is important for safe bedroom. Declutter, rearrange furniture. So there's ample room to move around in this safe and, and create a safe place. For fall prevention, keep electrical cords tucked behind furniture to reduce tripping. Don't forget to keep a working phone with emergency numbers next to the bed and within reach. Check and adjust the height of the bed so it's easy to get in and out of. Remember at night, sometimes when you have to get up to go to the bathroom, if your bed is really high up, you're all discombobulated and confused. That's another source mm. of falling. You can also purchase a step platform made specifically for this pur purpose. Closets should be bright with frequently used items within each reach. Home safety. Mm -hmm. Check that all smoke and carbon monoxide detectors are working and heard in every room. Change them twice a year. They say change them when we change the, the uh, time. time difference. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. There are benefits to older adults in your life owning a cell phone, according to aginginplace.org. Safety and staying connected are the top benefits. Encouraging them to keep the phone charged. That's another biggie with my mother. It's great that you have now a cell phone, mom, but you got to charge it. I know. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, them all, and keep it with them all the time. Take medications in a well-lit area of your home so labels are easy to read. You can also ask the pharmacy to use large print in medication labels. Somebody just died recently, elderly, either on the news or something that took too many of the same meds because they had forgotten what they took, uh, or it wasn't well lit, or they yes. didn't have a pill box, or those kinds of things. Easy to do. Mm. How to modify and prepare the home. Many of these suggestions can be implemented without a professional. You can check your local home improvement store for supplies. How-to videos are also a great resource for home safety ideas, along with step-by-step -step directions for implementing changes in the home. For safety improvements requiring a professional, such as installing a handrail or lighting fixture, look to a local contractor for help. Consider contacting a certified aging in place professional 
for larger remodeling jobs. These change professionals consider safety and accessibility in a home specifically for aging adults. There's a lot to consider when helping an older adult age in place. Safety is the top priority and inspecting the home and implementing simple changes will support independent living and bring peace of mind to you and to your loved one. Yes, that's good, D, because a lot of times, you know, Nate gets on my nerves, but he's right. You know, there'll be a court there and he'll say, listen, he's just like you. He said, I've seen too many disastrous falls come into the hospital because of some cord or some shoe somewhere all the time yeah so i say you're right you know when you get up now you know because i tend to be sometimes messy and i go in my bedroom and i'll look on the floor and there's shoes here and there now i put everything off to the side so Mm -hmm. that there's a clear pathway between Mm -hmm. me and the bathroom Mm -hmm. because you get up at night lights off Mm -hmm. and again you wake up you're a little disoriented you step down all it takes is one fall Mm -hmm. i think that everyone a part of the spring cleaning that we talk about everyone should really take heed to this article and look these are simple things these are simple question creating safe spaces you know Exactly. Exactly. Well, our next article, we'll roll into our next article and it talks about weight loss helps your heart, even if some weight comes back. And this is important because, you know, a lot of us, we get we lose our weight and then sometimes it comes back and we're going back and forth. But guess what? You know, we can see some benefits. And so the key takeaways from this article will be that the heart health benefits from successfully losing five to 10 pounds remain even if some of the weight comes back. And a new evidence review says, number two, blood pressure and cholesterol were better in people who took part in a weight loss program than in those who didn't, even if the participants slowly regained some of the lost pounds. Weight loss, number three, weight loss likely causes a metabolic reset in the human body and decreases harmful abdominal fat that accumulates around the organs. And so let's start the article. It can be downright discouraging to work hard to lose 10 pounds only to regain a few later. But don't be downhearted. A new evidence review says the important heart health benefits of weight loss are sustained even as some of the weight comes back. People who drop some pounds still have lower blood pressure and better cholesterol and blood sugar numbers, even if they regain a little. British researchers reported March 28 in the journal Circulation Cardiovascular Quality and Outcomes. It should serve as encouragement for people to try to lose weight and do so in the most effective way by joining a behavioral weight loss program, said senior researcher Paul Aviard, a p- professor of behavior medicine at the University of Oxford. Even if weight is regained, which most people do, the health benefits persist. For this review, Aviard's team analyzed the combined results of 124 weight loss clinical trials involving more than 50,000 people and with an average follow-up of of more than two years. The participants average 
age was 51 and their average body mass index BMI was 33, which is considered obese. BMI is an estimate of body fat based on height and weight. On average, people assigned to a weight loss program shed 5 to 10 pounds as a result of the initial experiment, which typically lasts around seven months. Behavior weight loss programs help people lose weight by encouraging lifestyle changes, such as eating healthy foods or stepping up physical activity. The programs help people clarify their goals and set goals, and they monitor how well people are doing, Aviard said. They give them support to think through their lives and how they can follow the dietary restrictions and boost their physical activity. They boost motivation and also help people to feel understood and better about themselves and their weight. During follow-up, participants regain an average 0.26 to 0.7 pounds a year, a slow drip of weight gain that experts say isn't unusual. It's very hard to maintain lost weight, Aviard said. The reasons a person gained weight have not gone away after weight loss, so most people do regain weight. However, people who participated in a weight loss program still maintain lower blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar numbers for at least five years after the program ended compared to those not asked to lose weight, the evidence review found. Blood pressure was lower, cholesterol lower, and blood glucose was lower for at least five years for those offered the weight management program, Aviard said. It looked like the onset of disease, heart disease and diabetes remained lower, but too few studies have measured these diseases to be sure. The health benefits did tend to diminish as a person regained more weight, noted nutrition expert Christopher Gardner, a professor with the Stanford Prevention Research Center in Stanford, California. The ones who regained the most weight had the greatest diminishment of the benefit, but it didn't go the other way. It didn't go into an adverse thing where their weight gain took a toll on heart risk factors, said Gardner, who also served as chair of the American Heart Association's Nutrition Committee. It was better to have lost and regained, he said, for some portion of your life, your metabolism was cleared up and that probably has a cardiovascular and a diabetes benefit in the long run. This is an important paper, yes, because the weight loss clinical trials included in the evidence review featured long-term follow-up, something that doesn't usually happen, Gartner said. This is really such a huge missing gap, he said. The critical question is, what does happen five, ten years down the road after a person drops some excess weight? So why did the heart health benefits remain even after weight gain? The clinical trials weren't designed to examine the reasons behind the results, but experts offered a, a couple of likely theories. Losing weight might cause a metabolic reset that persists even if some weight comes back, said Dr. Francisco Lopez Jimenez, okay, chair of preventive cardiology 
at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Most of the benefits when losing weight actually rely on the initial weight loss, he said. We know that losing 5% of body weight prevents diabetes big time. Like 70% of the risk for diabetes is cut. A lifestyle weight loss program also tends to decrease the belly fat that collects around organs. Lopez Jimenez said that fat puts pressure on organs, on the organs, increasing inflammation and doing systemic harm to the body. Many times patients start losing weight and the very first fat they burn is the abdominal fat, the fat that is mixed with the guts, what we call visceral fat, he said. That is actually the fat that causes most of the damage. So it makes sense that when people lose just a few pounds, we can see a significant metabolic benefit. I'm going to start using this when I um, promote my weight mm-hmm. loss program. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Gartner agreed. You've remodeling your body, the fat stores in your body, and that has an important metabolic effect. Folks also need to keep in mind that the bathroom scale lies when it comes to how much body fat you've dropped. Yes, during a weight loss program, Lopez Jimenez said, lean muscle weighs more than body fat. That's why I keep trying to tell people, you know, because yeah. a lot of people, they'll say, Vicky, I lost weight at the beginning. Now I'm gaining weight. I said, no, you're gaining lean muscle mass. So that's a right. good thing. That's a good thing. Right. And then it tapers off. Then you, yeah. But anyway, lean muscle weighs more than body fat. So someone who exercises along with dieting might witness a modest over overall weight loss that's actually disguising a much more successful drop in their fat stores. People might lose a pound at the end of the program or two pounds at the end of the program. And that sounds very disappointing. Lopez Jimenez said, but we have shown that people actually gain muscle mass and therefore the difference in weight might actually not represent the actual amount of fat they burn. Yes, yes. There are other important questions about weight loss. This evidence review doesn't address, including the effects of continually dropping and regaining pounds again and again, Gartner said. I think that would be relevant for for some people because I think that kind of cycling is potentially messing up your metabolism, he said. Gardner also is concerned about the possible effects of massive weight loss and regain. He noted that people who compete in the biggest loser TV show would lose 100 pounds only to regain it later with lasting effects on their metabolism. They didn't address that here, but what they did address is what's most realistic for a lot of people, the effects of losing 5 or 10 pounds, Gardner said. Gardner and Lopez Jimenez said the message from this evidence review is clear and important. I think people need to be happy whenever they are able to lose a few pounds because the benefit is not trivial. It's significant, Lopez Jimenez said. And many times that initial benefit, that initial weight loss actually helps patients to keep the momentum. Once they recognize the benefit of that initial modest weight loss, taking the next step in terms of exercise and diet is easier because they just keep the momentum going. And so what does this article mean for you? Well, it says losing weight is good. 
for you, even if some of the weight comes back later. So, yes. What do you think, D? I think this is awesome. I think it's an excellent because it, you know, so many times people get so despondent and so down if they lose weight and gain a few pounds back. But this is encouraging because it helps you see that it's not just just the weight. You know, you just can't take the number. There mm -hmm. are th other things that are associated with that. So I thought it was a really good article. I think so, too. And that's why I encourage people when, when we do those weight loss programs, here's a plug, go to Vicido Fitness Academy and, and pay attention to yes, all our weight yes. loss programs. But yeah. that's why we always encourage people to do measurements because it's the mm -hmm. measurements that accounts because like we said if you get on the the scale and you have gained a few pounds that means to me when i see that that means that the program is working you're gaining muscle mass and muscle it evens exactly. it evens out it goes down actually over time so d you can end us with the last article how to deal with caregivers this article talks about um, how to deal with the caregiver stress that okay. many people talk about. I always, my thing is dealing with, it's called dealing with caregiver stress and burnout. It's my thing that I often say the caregivers many times die before the people that they're taking oh, care I know, of. I know. So this is an article that, that's from Health Day News. Mm -hmm. And it just talks about some tools that will help you deal with caregiver stress and burnout. So this article is the purpose is to give you some tools to better recognize caregiver stress and burnout. And it says, let's explore some of the symptoms. Plus experts offer several ways you can better manage caregiver stress. And when it's time to seek help to prevent it from reaching the level of burnout. What is caregiver stress? Caregiver stress occurs when the emotional, mental, and physical impacts of being a caregiver giver become overwhelming. It can happen to anyone who takes care of a person with a disability, health condition, or injury, or someone who is elderly. However, more women say they experience stress from caregiving than men, according to the United States Department of Health and Human Services Office of Women's Health. One of the main challenges for caregivers, for a lot of caregivers, is having too little time for themselves or their family or friends. Family caregivers spend an average of 24 hours a week providing care, over 24 hours a week. That's mm. more than an entire day you don't have for yourself, said mm. Laura Kotler-Klein, a social work manager at the University of Pennsylvania said in a pen medicine article. Caregiver stress may be experienced in a variety of ways, overeating, not eating enough, losing interest in activities and people you once enjoyed, experiencing feelings of isolation, depression, or other negative emotions, treating the person you're caring for poorly, mm. feeling a loss of control, and using substances like alcohol and medications to relieve stress. According to the Alzheimer Association, Signs of caregiver stress may also include increased levels of irritability, anger, frustration, insomnia, anxiety, and even denial of your loved one's condition. Mm. You may experience depression, anxiety, or anxiety disorders, ongoing stress, and fatigue. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, people's attitudes shift from caring and positive mm -hmm. to detached and unconcerned due to being worn out so vicky i'm going to ask you to take over okay so wait, wait. Says, okay. and start with the next couple paragraphs right after where it says while everyone has unique experience of caregiving here are some ways to reason for burnout okay and some of the ways number one too much workload or demand placed on the caregiver number two too little control steaming from a shortage of resources or knowledge such as a lack of money 
or not understanding how to be a caregiver. Number three, confusion about roles, especially if you're previously been a sibling, partner, parent, or friend, and must now take on an additional role with new responsibilities that are unclear. Number four, the emotional toll of seeing a person you're caring for struggle with mental, physical, or behavioral health issues. And number five, neglect of your own physical, mental, and emotional needs due to demands of caregiving. These caregiver responsibilities can leave you feeling overwhelmed, unhappy, and isolated. What does the next say, D? When caregiver stress becomes burnout. Burnout is a serious health concern. When caregiver stress becomes too much to handle and the signs of burnout appear, it's important to seek help. If you think you may be experiencing depression, anxiety, or another mental health condition due to caregiver burnout, a professional therapist can work with you to help reduce and eliminate your symptoms. There are other services available for caretakers. The Cleveland Clinic recommends, including adult daycare, home health aides, and caregiver support services. You can find helpful information and resources for caregivers at usaid.gov. Let me just add something to this since I deal with this on a daily basis. Okay. That when loved ones are in the hospital, for example, Mm -hmm. I think it's incumbent for their loved ones to be very proactive with the case managers Mm -hmm. to talk about those things that you do and do not have at home. Um, because I think a lot of people, it's it's uh, more than a notion to take a loved one home and take care of them. For example, we have situations where patients are bedridden and families are like, I'm going to take that person home. Well, that person may be, when you get home, dead weight, dead where weight. they need to be rolled over. They yes. may need to be cleaned up. Mm-hmm. You can't lift someone out of the bed by yourself and put them in bed. Mm-hmm. You may injure yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you need to make sure before you leave the hospital, that's what I encourage everybody, be an advocate for your loved one. Talk to the case managers about things that Medicare will pay for a lot of things, things that you need at home, bedside commode, walkers. And they also may have some resources about some adult daycare places where you can take your loved one once or twice a week and get yourself, give yourself a breather yeah and so like i said and you know i i don't say it in jest because i've seen it happen the caregivers die before the people that Mm. they're taking care of because of all these situations of stress anxiety sometimes injury Mm. it's nothing to hear about back injuries for people who try to lift somebody who's Mm. been heavy heavier than they are and people don't understand when loved ones get home if they can't uh you know lift themselves up or handle their own body weight, they're dead weight. Mm, So I just wanted to add that since that's something that I see on a daily basis. Yes. Well, thank you. And and we we got a taste of that because of, you know, my father, Brother Bill. And so even yes. though he can do a lot of things, they have everything arranged where he gets picked up, go to yes. the VA, does his exercise, this and that. It's just so great. You know, it has to be done proactively. You can't wait yes. and just say, oh, well, now what am I going to do? Be proactive with these kinds of things. Be proactive. Yes. Well, D, this ends our show. And so do you have any tips that we should think about? Yeah, good articles. Uh, watch watch the meat make sure your meats are cooked and like we always said plant-based is probably better <laughs> we read these articles talking about meat and urinary tract infections yes. make sure your meats are cooked but again we want to stress maybe this is the time after this article to start thinking about more <laughs> plant-based foods big time um 
The second thing is the small gains in cardiorespiratory fitness track and cardiovascular respiratory fitness. Mm -hmm. And you taught us a lot today about um, just in, increasing your activity by one met can help. Yes. Um, and, and basically it's, it's up getting up and, and moving and mm -hmm. improve, you know, doing those things, getting on the, you, I think you mentioned running mm -hmm. and walking, probably swimming is another swimming. One, right? Yes. Thing. Yes. Yes. So those are all those things that can help your cardiorespiratory fitness. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about articles about injury proofing your home, putting railings up, yes. putting stable rugs in your bathroom, making sure that you declutter your house so that people don't step on things and falling. Another good article, weight loss helps your heart even if some weight comes back and everybody's yes. dealing with post-COVID instead of post-COVID-19, that post-COVID-25. Some maybe and 30, so some maybe 30. <laughs> or maybe 30. <laughs> as you said, don't get despondent. Mm -mm. Some of that weight, you can't just get on the scale and use that as complete fat. That mm -hmm. um, this may be gaining of lean mass, mm -hmm. muscle mass, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Uh, which is a very good thing. And then lastly, if you're dealing with a loved one at home, realize and accept that there may be some stress and anxiety associated with that. But like I said, be proactive about the things that you need for your loved one and making sure that you make things easier for yourself and for your loved one when you bring somebody home. That's it. So we definitely want to remind people, yeah, that's a part of self-care too. If you're taking it care is. of somebody, you got to make yeah. sure that you strong and you're exactly. doing what you need to do or exactly. you won't be able to take care of them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and yeah. as always, folks, as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.